What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Fitness Oracle. I'm your host, John, John Gatsavos. Uh, today, we sit down with a very uh, interesting guest, a uh, little bit off the beaten track of what we're used to seeing at the Fitness Oracle, you know, health and wellness professionals, uh, personal trainers, martial artists. Uh, we sit down with Emily Sander from Next Level Coaching. Uh, she is a C-suite executive and ICF certified coach uh, who now combines her experience and proven insights with her keen ability to understand each client's unique personality and situations, providing their strategies and, and frameworks they need to level up in their careers and live a happy, happier, more fulfilling life. So basically, she's a business coach. Now, you might be thinking, what is John doing? Where is he going with this? Why did he bring a business coach on a health and wellness podcast? Well, surprisingly, there's a lot of similarities between business and your health and your wellness. I'll explain to you that some of the topics that we talk about is the end result in mind, putting the reps in. She's says putting the reps in in a different concept that I do, but still same idea, same concept. Failure loop, how important the failure loop really is in our lives. And for us not to really look into failure that much or dig too deep or be too hard on ourselves when we do fail, because we are going to fail. We're not 100% perfect. I haven't met a single perfect person in my life. Call We... So we talk about different types of pain that she's, that, that she's experienced over her time as a business coach. <clears throat> and we also talk about a very important concept, one that I'm still trying to grasp, celebrating successes, milestones, and progress. Now, we go really deep into these topics, and you're going to see the similarities between personal training, personal training for fitness, mental state and personal training for business and mental state. The common thing here that we talk about is the mental state because that's all it is. If we can adjust that to properly fit what you need, man, sky is your limit and nothing in this world can stop you. So grab a pen and paper, sit down, take an hour out of your busy day and take notes because there's a lot of golden gems in this and I'm really, and I'm super excited to, to be publishing this. We recorded this back in February. I was homeless at the time. I was in the transition to move here to Florida. So I really hope you enjoy it. Um, leave your comments below. Let me know what you think after the show until and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Fitness Oracle, where we have real conversations with real people just like you, with real stories just like yours. And this is one of their stories. I am your host, John Katsavos. My guest today is Emily Sander from Next Level Coaching. After more than 15 years in the business world, she realized that her favorite role was mentoring leaders, which promoted her to pursue a career in 
leadership and executive coaching. As a C-suite executive and ICF certified coach, she now combines her experience and proven insights with her keen ability to understand each client's unique personality and situations, providing the strategies and frameworks they need to level up in their careers and live a happier, more fulfilling life. As she continues her coaching journey, she looks, she looks forward to writing more books and articles that focus on the challenges of today's leaders and the evolution of the executive culture in order to share her observations and insights with the world. Emily, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, John. How is Florida? It is getting warmer. It was actually cool for a bit. My family's in Seattle and it's odd when it's uh, nicer there than here, but uh, that was the case for a few weeks and now we're back to normal. So sunny 70 degrees uh, and beautiful day outside. I'm excited to hear that because I will be there in uh, yes. a couple of weeks. Welcome. So <laughs> very excited, very excited. Um, what was the trigger for you to get into the coaching world? Hmm. I was a, I was coaching before I knew what a coach was officially. And in my interactions in the corporate world with my team members, my colleagues, um, I just found those one-on-one -on -one interactions where I could help someone uh, get to their next level in their career. So an actual promotion or just their next level of confidence in a team meeting, speaking up in a team meeting or stepping into a new role. And looking back, you know, when things were all said and done at a certain role or a certain company, when I look back, those types of interactions uh, floated to the top and were the most fulfilling and most rewarding. And I kept thinking about that over and over and said, hmm, what if I could do this full time? What if that was my job? What if I got to wake up and be excited about helping people in that way? And that's how I found coaching or coaching found me. That's that's usually how it finds people, which is really great. Um, you and I be, both being coaches in different aspects in, in, in life, we, you and I both know that there are a lot of hurdles when it comes to being a coach. What has been your biggest hurdle? Hmm. That's a good question. I think a lot of people don't really know well, I want to say, I was going to say, don't really know what a coach is, but that's not necessarily true. They kind of know life coaches are out there and leadership coaches are out there. That's becoming more common and more ubiquitous. I think oftentimes people don't know how to use a coach or um, get the most benefit out of a coaching relationship or a coaching engagement. And so explaining to someone how I would work with them at the beginning in a discovery call, or even in the first couple conversations we have, um, I think just getting that uh, initial understanding or hook where, oh my gosh, this could open up so many doors. This could accelerate my growth. I have an objective outside sounding board on things that I'm going through is, uh, tends to be a challenge. And I will say once they get into it and once they get that first, oh, like, oh my gosh, I've, I've felt what that can do. It's experiential, you know, they're hooked. Same with me. I was like coaching. Okay, let me try this. And now I regularly have a team of coaches that I work with. So I'm a coach myself, but I have a team of coaches I work with because it just helps me grow and um, get to my goals faster. That's awesome. Um, and one of the things I, I, I know you have come across this 
is you have that one client that is so gung-ho while you're working with them and they are um, bullheaded, like the bull in the China shop, they get all their assignments done, they get everything done. And then the second you stop um, working with them, everything goes to the wayside. Right. Yep. There's, there's people that come from different approaches and some people um, need kind of that handholding, so to speak, at the beginning. And sometimes throughout kind of their career, they're just built on I need someone to be my accountability partner. I like having someone to answer to, so to speak. So for instance, um, I have several clients who, who tell me, Emily, the fact that I know that you're going to ask me how this went next Tuesday at 3 p.m. makes me do it more often than, than on my own, uh, which is fine, which is great. It's not my intention to keep someone um, in a coaching engagement longer than necessary, but if that's helpful to them and that's just kind of what they need, for an extended period of time, happy to support. Uh, an, another situation is someone who is very self-sufficient and very disciplined, and you give them the program, so to speak, and they can run it themselves. So you give them the tools and the building blocks and the frameworks and, and kind of teach them how to use it, maybe go through it with them the first couple of times. But after that, they're, they're good to go. So both of those uh, types of clients are exciting for me to work with. And it's just kind of learning what, what your client needs. But certainly there are, are those who, um, you know, you've got to kind of baby step them through it at least the first couple of times. Yeah. Um, actually, what I was trying to go with the question was, um, how do you make sure that they stay on track after you're done with them? After like all is said and done, they have all these great intentions, they have all these great goals and you want to support them. And when we're, when we're done with them, you just, you check in like a month later and you're like, well, are you still doing it? And they're like, well, not really. How, how do you um, light the fire on them, under them again to get, to get going? Sure. So it depends. So some people have their why. And what I mean by that, if you say, you know, why do you do what you do? Why do you love what you do? A lot of people have a surface level answer and we dig into that and find their big why. So their value, like, why do you do what you do? Um, some people have that and they don't know how to get where they're going. They don't know how to get to their goal. So we work with them on the how, build up those structures and habits, and then they can hopefully run with them going forward long-term. Some people have the structure and habits, but they haven't put their ladder up against the right wall, so to speak. So they don't know where they're going or what they're doing um, or why they're doing it. And so you help them come up with like, okay, let, let's help you articulate to yourself and to others where you're going and why. And then all of your energy and all of your effort can be pointed in the right direction. So, you know, those are the two big bucket answers that I would give you. It's giving people the tools to, to help them carry forward after you're not speaking to them on a, on a regular basis. Um, and that can be different for different people in different situations. I like, I love it. I love it. Um, it, all, it, 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 which really ties in really well where we're going with this right now, which uh, was something that you actually talk about that I actually love myself is working with the end result in mind. For me, the end result is the casket. For you, what would the end result in mind be? Um, again, that's up to the client. That's actually something I ask my clients, uh, you know, what would be 
a success at the end of our engagement or even what would be a successful outcome at the end of this session. And, you know, they will tell me, okay, I want to, I want to, it can be anything from, I want to be prepared for this meeting that I'm about to go into. And so we're pretty tactical and practical, maybe a few mindset components in there. Um, but that's a very uh, finite, concrete, tangible goal. And then sometimes it's Emily, I want to become or feel more confident, which is of course a much larger, a little bit more vague um, goal and often longer, longer term. Um, so they define it um, or they at least present their initial goal. And then we talk about it. Most often the goal that a client will present is not their actual goal. So they'll want something else, but they're going to say, I want this. And sometimes they think they actually want that thing they're telling you. And they don't know that they actually want something deeper. And sometimes they think, oh, I'm supposed to say this. I'm supposed to want this. And I'm supposed to ask for this when I, when I talk to people. Um, and, you know, that, that's fine for maybe the first initial conversation, but we really want to dig in to get to the heart of it and what they are truly after, um, which just helps. And I can help co-create that with them, but it really has to be theirs because they have to be bought in and be uh, enthusiastic and passionate enough to go after that themselves. How powerful is why? How powerful, how how life-changing could it be for somebody to really, really have that why in their life? I think it can change the trajectory of someone's life. And I'll give you an example. Uh, I had a client who was going after a certain career trajectory and a certain type of career. And that's what they had been doing literally since they were old enough to walk their path was set. It was in the, it was in the medical field to be a certain type of doctor. And in speaking with this person, I could kind of tell the way that they were talking about it. It didn't seem like their heart was in it. They didn't seem like that was their passion. And I finally asked, you know, when you hear, I have to become this certain type of doctor, whose voice is that that's telling you that? And after a pause, it was his parents and his parents had pushed him in that direction, which they had great intentions. They were loving parents. They wanted what was best. And they thought that was best to get him um, out of his life circumstances that he was in early in his uh, life. And that was the way out. And so uh, when we found that, no, his passion was elsewhere and his big why and his big purpose of what do I want to contribute to this planet? What do I want to contribute to society? It was much different. And just the way he talked about it and just the way he lit up uh, when he talked about pursuing something else, you could tell that that was his true why and his true passion. And I think uh, the why is so powerful because if you align that and therefore you're putting all of your energy um, into the right alignment, you'll go so much further, you'll go so much faster and um, there won't be so much friction. There won't be so much resistance because you're not resisting your own self. You're kind of in your flow and in, it's kind of like, paddling up a stream or up a river and then paddling, you know, down a stream or down a river, you're going with the current. Yeah. Um, do you think that's, that that could actually change in a person's lifespan from one, let's say one decade to another? Absolutely. I've experienced it myself and I've seen it with a number of clients. I have a, a very common uh, pattern or trend is early in, in one's career in the business world, you, um, you could be money motivated. 
And that's a perfectly valid thing. Maybe you have to pay bills. Maybe you're, you know, taking care of someone else. Maybe you just like money. That's perfectly valid. Uh, money and title tend to be the things people go after early in their career. Um, I had one person uh, really care about how many people reported to him. So the number of people that he could say he was in charge of or he, uh, that reported to him was a big deal. In the middle of your career, uh, sometimes it can change to things like, I want um, influence. I want to seat at the table. I want my voice to be heard. I want to help make decisions for the organization and for the culture. And very often when I work with clients who are in the later stages of their career, they want to give back and they want opportunities to mentor the younger generation and the younger leaders. And they want um, influence and impact on going to find the people who will be their successors and also grooming them and helping them and mentoring them um, up. And so it's very much, how can I give back? You know, I've, I've accomplished everything that one could possibly accomplish. Um, I don't need money. I don't need more status. I don't need more anything, but it's really important to them. And their big why is to um, give back and help the, help the next generation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I've noticed it with myself too, when I was uh, to the four decades that I've been on this planet, I, <laughs> I've noticed it as well. Um, what are some of the steps that you would help to help someone to identify their why? Hmm. A great quote that I heard, I'll try to remember it. I might butcher it, but a great quote is, uh, tell me what's most important to you. And I'll, and that's all I need to know. So if you ask yourself, you know, what is most important to me in life, you know, and maybe you can break that up into different spheres of life, like your business or career or your home life or professional um, versus personal, but you know, what is most important to me? What pops out? And then ask yourself why. And then ask yourself, why is that important to me about five more times? And that's peeling back the onion and getting to getting from your surface level why to your big why. And you know, it might take a little bit of self-reflection and you know, rattling it around in your brain, but uh, but that's the track I would take uh so a lot of the stuff that you actually do um especially with coaching we have very similar tactics in the gym and in the business world um you know I talk about putting in physical reps you talk about putting in your own kind of reps uh what kind of repetitions are you talking about Sure. A common one is building a new habit. So, um, you know, I'll just stay on the example of confidence because that does pop up uh, quite a lot, which um, people, people have to almost rebuild themselves and remake themselves sometimes because their, their insecurity is so deeply rooted. And so getting them on a new path toward being uh, a more confident version of themselves um, caring less about what people think is building a whole new habit, and that can uh, be pretty intensive. And so sometimes you can kind of take them through the process, take them through how the brain works, um, take them through the habits they need to build and, and, and put those in place, and then they have to put in the reps. So they might say, okay, every time I think, you know, I'm not good enough, or I'm horrible at communication, or I just messed up, I hate myself, they have to put in the reps to change that and flip over to their new habit and their new way of thinking and their new version of themselves. And so a lot of times it is, and you talked about accountability and reinforcement and giving them the tools to continue with this, even after the coaching engagement, um, 
putting in those reps is hugely important because similar to a training program, you can have a trainer show you the program. You can have a trainer explain why it works and explain what's happening in the muscles. But if your client doesn't do the exercises, there's going to be no result. There's going to be no effect. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And, um, like traders have their own tools. Uh, I'm sure business coaches like yourself, you have your own tools. How many, we have this one rule. I don't know who came up with this arbitrary number, 1000 reps to change, uh, to change your body. Um, that's completely arbitrary based off of zero science, but 1000 is a lot, especially with nice, nice round number. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why they <laughs> created it. <laughs> um, how many repetitions do you recommend for somebody to see success in just, you know, moving forward in their life? Hmm. That, that varies again. I'll give the everyone's favorite answer, which is it depends, but it's true. So it depends on the person and where they're at in the process. If you're taking someone from literally block one or day one, and they are so down on themselves and it's such a deeply rooted thing that can take years. And I've worked on, um, you know, cultivating a habit and having a, a baby habit, so to speak, and, and growing it into something where it's automatic. And that's taken me years, uh, myself. Is it easy? No. Is it worth it? Absolutely. And then there's other things where it's like, oh, okay. When I show someone something, they can pick that up. Maybe we work on it together the first one or two times, and then they, they have the structure and they have the mechanism for that. And then they can keep doing it on their own. And that can be, you know, days, weeks type of timeline. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much what I tell people. It depends on the person. Depends on the person. I hate it when I hear trainers, you know, oh, you drop, you know, 100 pounds in a year. I've seen it happen. Mm -hmm. Seen it happen, but it doesn't happen to everyone. Um, that leads us to something else, which is probably the most important thing um, with a lot of my listeners right now. Um, with when it comes based around failure, how important is for a person to fail? It's the mark of success if you understand it and use it in the right way. So I'll explain what I mean. In my book, I have a little graph, but for uh, people who are listening, I'll describe it. Uh, I call it the failure loop. And it's a, a new way of thinking about failure. And there's a chain of individual loops that are connected that go up and to the right. So altogether, the chain goes up and to the right. But there are the individual loops. And there's a section of the individual loop that goes back down into the left. And that is where you quote unquote failed. That's where you messed up on a presentation. That's where you messed up on your diet um, and you're down on yourself. And it, let's be honest, it feels real crappy um, in that moment. And you can sit down and cry and call yourself a failure and declare it and stop. And that's one option. Another option is to take the learning and lesson from that and say, okay, why did that happen? What could I have done differently? What can I do differently next time? And if you take that and you apply it going forward, you've just propelled yourself up the chain and you've propelled yourself up into the right and in the direction you want to go. And if you think about it, if you do something 
you learn from it, you apply it, and you do it better the next time. That is literally the definition of learning, and that's literally improving and growth and progressing. And so with this framework, you can you know, change or transform failure in the traditional sense into progress and, and, and hold it as a mark of like, ah, I'm at this point. I know where I am in the process. I'm going to do what I need to do to propel myself up. And therefore, this is what makes me successful. Success isn't standing on the podium and saying, I won the gold medal. Success is in that moment in the failure loop when you're like, crap, like this did not go the way I wanted. I let myself down. I let people around me down, but I am going to get back up again and I'm going to do better. That is where champions are built. Mm -hmm. Do you think that the uh, modern academia has failing at uh, teaching this kind of concept? Um, I think it's certainly not uh, prevalent in our society. I think we'd have a much different community and, and much uh, different human beings walking around if we didn't get down on our own selves about these things. And if we didn't get the noise from other people, where it's like, oh my God, like you did that again. Like, you know, how could you, geez, like he keeps doing this or oh my gosh, how could she be so stupid? Like, we don't need that noise. So I think if, if people, um, if, our, if ourselves and other people had this new lens to look through and this new perspective, it would, um, it would change the way we interact with each other and it would change the way we uh, think about the different actions we take and um, the different outcomes that, that happen. So um, Certainly, I think, you know, we're, we're coming from the old way of thinking and we all need to keep in mind the new way of thinking. And if you if you just kind of sit there and really contemplate, OK, which approach have I been using in my life to date? Most people, most listeners are going to say the first way, you know, you, you bring up the word failure. They have a negative connotation. How's that worked out for you? What's that done for you? What's that gotten you? What's that cost you? And then think about a life where, okay, it might feel, you know, bad at times, but if you know where you are in the process and you keep moving forward and you um, just have a new way of looking at it and you're looking at it through that new lens, what would your life be then? How would you feel going into decisions and, and going into uh, something that let you down then? You can almost turn, you know, a stumbling block into a stepping stone, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um... I love using sports analogies. I've been in sports. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> well, I mean, and when it comes to failing, I mean, there's no better, there's no better uh, reference than sports. I mean, look at baseball players. I mean, if, uh, if you walk up to the plate three times, just if, if you can hit the ball, just, just more than three times out of 10, you're considered one of the greatest baseball players one of the best baseball players in the world. Um, Michael Jordan, I think uh, they came up with uh, some statistics. He threw something in the range of 900 and 989 game-winning baskets he threw, and he only made 147. And he's considered one of the greatest basketball players of all time. So... Why do people look at, you know, I, I've done this, I've tried this, I failed. Why do people think that they're going to be 100% out of 100? And 
why do they why are they so hard on themselves a lot of us have streaks of perfectionism in us i i am guilty of this myself and we either have expectations of ourselves that we're going to be perfect every single time which by the way is unrealistic or other people are imposing that uh belief and expectation on us and um you know one thing we use in coaching is we listen for the word should so oh emily i should do that or i know everyone you know says i should do this or you know i'm supposed to do this right now and should is um it can be someone else's expectation on you and so we listen for that word and say oh i should have done better i should have been perfect it's like well you know where is that expectation coming from um so yeah i i think if you go in with hey i'm going to take some shots and i'm going to miss and i can still be the greatest basketball player um ever to play the game you know take Steph Curry, he, like he, he's amazing, but he doesn't do perfectly every single time. And so the best no. in their field, uh, a, a great way to think about, you know, you, we mentioned putting in the reps and uh, sports players and failure, it's practice. So it's almost, you're, you're practicing. So think how much, you know, Kobe Bryant talked about the number of hours he practiced and the number of hours he, he would outwork anyone. And, he, and I heard an interview with him and he, um, saw a new guy on the team, you know, coming early and he sat there and he was like, I'm going to show up earlier than this guy every day. And I'm going to stay in the gym until he leaves. So he knows that I'm outworking him. And just so, you know, he established like I'm the hardest worker on this team. Uh, and so I think a good way to think about failure in that sense is it's, it's practice. So go out and practice your craft and, uh, hone it and refine it. And, get better at it. And all of those quote unquote failures aren't wasted in that sense. It's almost like that's what makes you good. Like that's what you have to put in. Um, and that's how you have to approach it to be the best. You said it, you, you said something important that I wanted to touch up on there uh, with Kobe Bryant. Um, his work ethic was ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. I mean, normal basketball players would practice maybe once or twice a day. He would be practicing four times a day. Do you think it's important for somebody to, yes, work hard, practice a lot, um, do you put in your reps, uh, so to speak, when it comes to, you know, your, your, your trade, your whatever, your success, your personal development, your, your body, but do you also think it's important for people to just, you know, chill out, relax for a little bit and, you know, find that work-life balance that the, a lot of people talk about? Yes, absolutely. Great point. So an example I go into in my book, but it's to do with training. So uh, in bodybuilding or, you know, physique athletes, uh, they want to gain as much muscle as they can. And so they'll do hypertrophy training, which is go in the gym and you, you know, lift to gain, to gain size. And there's this principle where you actually don't want to max out. You don't want to go to failure every, you know, see these YouTube videos or Instagram, like rise and grind and push yourself. And, you know, if, if, you know, you're not failing or going to failure, you're, you're not doing it right. But in fact, uh, the science shows and the top athletes will train to their maximum recoverable volume, meaning it's the most they can get. So it's the most work they can put in while still being able to recover. 
And the recovery is actually where you make your gains. So in the gym, you're actually like tearing apart muscle. And in the recovery, you're actually building size and, and scar tissue and all that good stuff, which, which you know about. Um, and so there's this principle of do the least amount you can that gets you the maximum gains. And so what is the least amount you can do in the gym, but still get the maximum gains? And so I love that principle. I use it with my, my business professionals and people can use it in the gym or their sports training or in other areas of life, which is, am I burning myself out to the point that I can't recover? And if you do that, to follow the gym analogy, if you do that and you go past your maximum recoverable volume, you come back the next day and you try to work out again, that workout is not going to be as good as it could have been. So you've actually forfeited the gains you could have made on the second day by burning yourself out on the first day. So uh, long answer to your question is yes, uh, rest and recovery and active recovery and taking that part seriously is hugely important. And I think on you know, the mental side, it's, it's um, people in, uh, in the last part of their prep before a big show, a bodybuilding show, they will work out really hard, probably two a days, but then they will literally like rest. They'll do the recovery modalities, do an ice bath or do whatever, get massaged or whatever they do. And then they'll sit and they'll like rest. And that's what they do. They work out, they build their body and they rest and recover. And that is in their peak week, in their prime, that's what they do. So I think we can all you know, take parts of that and apply it to our different areas of life. Yeah, they're... They do a lot more. They, they'll, 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 like you said, they'll chill out in the bodybuilding competitions. They'll chill out. They'll crack open a vodka, get some <laughs> sugar in them. You know, you know, just chill out the night before the show because the actual sugar actually uh, inflates the muscle a little bit more, so you can show. Uh, uh, that's too much. No, I, I, I appreciate the acknowledge. There's a lot more that goes into it. That was a simple example, but yes, they do. Like I've heard like the water training they do and the, and the stuff they do with the carb loading at the very end to fill out. So yes, there's a whole, whole thing that goes in, but all to say there is, um, an overriding principle of, you know, you do need to take your recovery and active recovery seriously, because that's going to uh, help optimize your results. A lot of people would see that as failing failing just before the big show, failing before, just, just before the big meeting. And it really isn't. It's, it's understanding what you need and giving yourself that. And um, failure is one of those things that we need as human beings. We need to fail. How important do you think it is for people to understand that in order for them to move on? I mean, you can't progress without it. It's we're, we're humans are meant to be challenged. We're not meant to like, literally, I guess the most basic thing in weight training would be if you lift a weight that isn't challenging, you're not going to grow period. So the reason you lift a weight that's a little heavier than, than you are comfortable with is because it helps you make gains and progress. And I think that's true of life. You know, we need to challenge ourselves um, there is, of course, a balance between not stretching ourselves too far and burning ourselves out or breaking ourselves, but we should always be on that growth edge, I like to call it, which is one step outside of your comfort zone and then do what you need to do in that zone to make it comfortable and then do it again, step outside one step further. Um, so I think, you know, my belief is humans are just built that way. We're just built to go explore things and go push ourselves and go push each other. And uh, some people 
like to do that more than others and take themselves to the limit and go skydiving or do, you know, competitive bodybuilding or do professional athletics. Um, and some of us are a little bit more chill with it, but I think in general, that's our natural state. So playing into that and, and working with that is, is a good thing. It almost sounds like, and I'm a big believer in this next, in this, in this comment, it almost sounds like that you and we need to get past that comfort zone so that we can get into that state of fear, that state of pain, that state of panic. And I've learned this through martial arts where it's a good place to live because you, you learn different parts of yourself, different aspects of yourself. How do you feel about people, you know, not wanting to get into that state of pain, that state of fear, that state of panic? I mean, I understand it. Uh, it brings up negative feelings. So the reason, you know, when you ask them, why don't you put yourself out there? Cause like, I, I might fail. It's like, what happens then? It's like, I will feel bad. I'll feel embarrassed. I'll, I'll, you know, have to talk to people about how I failed. Um, so I understand it, but, uh, think, think back on your life. So anyone listening now, think back on your life and imagine if you never did anything where you felt that little bit of fear, that tinge of adrenaline, that tinge of like, oh, this could not go my way. This could be bad, but you did it and it worked. And now you are where you are today. Think if you took all those opportunities and all those risks and you took them off the table and said, nope, I don't want to feel bad. So I'm not going to risk it. I'm not going to put myself out there. Most people's lives would be dramatically different. I mean, let's be honest. Most people's lives would be boring and bland and, you know, let's stay in my safe box and do nothing. Um, so I think that's just part of the human condition. And it's really training yourself to, you know, maybe not look forward to that feeling per se. Although I've had clients who say, Emily, I now like when I feel that. I like when I feel the adrenaline rush because I know that I'm moving in the right direction. And that tells me I'm moving in the right direction. That's fantastic for them. I'm still like, oh, I'm going to feel scared and nervous, but I'm familiar with it. And I know what it is and what it is not. And I, I just know where I am in the process. And that's part of the process. I'm like, oh, it's my old friend, you know, fear and anxiety. Um, but it's, it's because I care and I want to do good at whatever I'm doing. And so I take that energy and instead of letting it consume me and be a destructive force, I'm like, no, I'm going to use this and channel it into a, a generative energy and generate something good from it. So I, I, I want to acknowledge that that feeling exists. I don't want to say like, no, 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 like, like you'll never feel, feel fear again. Cause that's, I think not true, but I think you can become very familiar uh, with it and feel the fear and do it anyway. I love that statement um, where you said um, my old friend, because we use that in, in uh, Russian martial arts. This is the, the martial, martial arts that uh, I used to practice is fear is your friend. Fear is the greatest teacher that you're, you'll ever have. Fear will never lie to you. How many different types of pain, fear, how many different types have you come across? Um, all sorts. I mean, I think for people who are playing a sport or go to the gym, you literally have to feel pain. I mean, it, but it's, it's sometimes it's great. Like when I walk out of a gym after a great workout, after leg day, I'm like, 
oh, I'm going to try to go down these stairs and <laughs> this, could, this could be a disaster. But you're like, yes, like, yes, it feels so amazing because I got a good pump and um, you pushed yourself and right in that sweet spot. So and then, of course, like the next two days, you're, you're sore from uh, doms and delayed onset muscle soreness. But um, you love it and you actually like relish it. I love it. I'm like, yeah, like I'm my muscles are, are growing and I'm uh, putting my body out there and, and doing what I need to do. It does require some pain. I mean, uh, I can lead a team meeting now, no problem. I can prep for it and walk in there, you know, pretty much uh, on the fly. Before I would get in there and do a whole bunch of prep and just fall on my face and then feel bad about it. Be like, oh my gosh, I'm crushed because the memory of that is so painful. And of course I, you know, sat down, put the movie reel on, watched it over and over again in my mind's eye and just, you know, did that to myself. And that created a lot of pain as well. But uh, there's, there's lots of pain and there's lots of fear. And again, that's, that's part of the human condition. I mean, it, it just is. And so instead of resisting that and trying to avoid it and, and, and feeling bad about yourself when you do feel those things, it's just like, Hey, that's part of the ride. You know, you gotta get on board and, and, um, take your lumps with the, with the good things. How long should somebody stay in in a state like that? Like, I mean, as a personal trainer, I can, I can pretty much tell people when they're going to start to feel better, um, depending on how hard they worked and this and that. But when it comes to something like um, walking into like a team meeting for the first time and you're leading it, I mean, that's, uh, if you stay in it too long, I would, I would, I would imagine that it would, that fear would take over and team meeting would be like complete garbage. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a good question. I'm trying to think of the proper kind of workout analogy. Um, Because in my workouts, I kind of program it where like, hey, I'm going to, progressively overload for, uh, this, you know, let's say six weeks and I'm going to go in the gym and have a, have a pretty, uh, regular protocol for increasing the weight or increasing the volume, um, et cetera, et cetera. And then I'm going to do a deload week where I rest and recover. So I kind of rest and recover in between individual workouts, but I also have blocks of time where, Hey, I'm going to progressively overload here. And then I'm going to take a dedicated deload week that I schedule in there. Um, and then progressively overload again. So it's kind of like the, the, um, stair step plateau, stair step plateau type of thing. There is a similarity between, you know, working with someone on, on doing something new, like going into lead a team meeting. Um, I think the equivalent would be like, Hey, you know, lead your team meeting. And then maybe you have a a larger group or maybe a department or an all hands team meeting. I wouldn't throw someone in who's terrified of public speaking into the largest group, you know, the largest audience you can possibly find, um, because that's not going to be good for them, but kind of stair-stepping them into that and uh, perhaps doing the smaller groups a couple times to get them a few, um, you know, phases of that, and then giving them some rest, letting, letting it settle and kind of checking in with them, seeing how they feel, what went well, what didn't go well, and then going again. So kind of that similar like staircase plateau, staircase plateau can work in other areas as well. What about somebody, if you you come across, I'm sure you've come across somebody who just seems fearless, like whatever you throw at them, they're going to take it on, no problems, no nothing, everything is kosher with them. And you need them to feel the fear to feel that pain of failure. How would you approach somebody like that? Hmm. 
That's a good question. Uh, my initial reaction, honestly, was like, oh, I'd much rather have that problem, uh, you know, having to rein someone in and pull someone back than, you know, having the exact opposite, which is you have to cattle prod someone to, to do something. Um, but yeah, I think fear is an important, we have it for a reason. We have it because it helps us stay alive. Uh, if we didn't have fear, we'd be doing you know, stupid stuff. Um, so I think it is a way to kind of um, temper people in the right ways. Um, you know, I, I've mentioned, you know, think, uh, thinking too much of what other people think of you. So giving too much weight to what other people think of you. Sometimes if people are fearless in that sense, well, like you could be bulldozing over, you know, good, honest people and, and you know, a bull in the china shop and you kind of need to uh, have a little bit of perspective and a little bit of fear, I guess, of what other people will think. So you can kind of conduct yourself in a, in a good way and kind of get to your, get to your ultimate goal there. But um, yeah, I think it is in that situation in coaching, I would just bring things to their awareness and say, Hey, you know, you're going after this full steam ahead. Uh, I'm noticing this, this, and this, that kind of, you know, is collateral damage and is down by the wayside. You know, what do you, what do you see about that? What do you think about that and see uh, what comes up for them? Um, this next part, I, I personally have a hard time with, like, uh, cause I'm the type of person where, um, I never sit back and enjoy the view when I'm at the top. I always look at the next peak. Um, and I, I know it's wrong. Um, and I know there's a lot of people out there listening and watching that are like me. Um, so how do you help somebody celebrate successes? Hmm. That's a huge component. Um, I often, for long-term goals, if people come to me with long-term goals, will build in milestones and markers of success. So I'll ask, you know, you know, Emily or John, like, you know, how will you know that you're going in the right direction? Like, what are some things of success? And then we'll actually put those down. So we'll write them down. When those are achieved, I'll I'll work with them, and I'll I was going to say make them, but I strongly suggest that they do something to celebrate. And that can be as simple as maybe they buy themselves a nice meal, or maybe they like buy themselves, you know, if they lost weight, like buy themselves some nice clothes um, that that fit them well. Um, and I think that is hugely important because one, we can get burned out on a long-term goal, but two, if you if you don't celebrate yourself and you go through life and it's just all like grind and hard work and the next thing and not good enough, like that's that's you know not a great way to live. And so um, I've been guilty of that. I probably gone through, you know, honestly, decades of my life or good portions of my life where I'm in tunnel vision and I'm just like the next thing, the next thing, the next goal, like whatever. I, yeah, I achieved that, but whatever. Um, and I get that, you know, I've, I've, I've done that. And to be honest, sometimes I look back at certain experiences and I'm like, Emily, you really missed out. Like you missed out on a lot of, um, interactions you could have had with people, uh, just, you know, little inside jokes or little, you know, people are working late and having fun and you were all business and all go and all whatever. And, um, I look back and I regret that. And I, I think I could get, I could have gotten much more out of that experience and much more good life experience and, and, uh, put more into relationships in that sense. So, uh, depending on kind of where you are in life and if you have a lot to look back on and, and reference, you know, if people are young, they may be like, whatever, what are you talking about? But take it from someone older and wiser, uh, you might regret those things that you passed up on and, and glazed over. So uh, now I literally, I'll be on the lookout for them. 
So I'll wake up every day and I will be on the lookout for what are the important moments of this day and how can I really uh, acknowledge them and cherish them and remember them because those are the things that you're going to take uh, away going forward. It's not going to be, you know, in business world, it's not going to be those Q4 numbers that you didn't meet and the board was mad. It's not going to be that client escalation that was the biggest deal at the moment. It's going to be, you know, helping Jennifer uh, with, with the team meeting or having a laugh with Christian um, and having that inside joke about his nickname and all of those things. It's just, it's just the little thing. So I would definitely encourage people to um, appreciate their place in the world and the plate and their place in your life and they can enrich it and enhance it. And, fuel you to do uh, more good and, and to do uh, more good things in the world. So um, yeah, definitely not something to gloss over. Yeah. Um, like I said, I've been always having a hard time trying to figure out, you know, how do I celebrate, you know, my 200th episode? How do I celebrate my first signing? How do I first this and that? And, I would, I mean, honestly, if people are listening right now, write down, you know, how will I know if I'm moving in the right direction? Write those things down and then put it in your calendar or, or you know, tell your spouse or significant other or friends like, hey, when I reach this, I want to go do this. Like, will you help me celebrate with this? And so it's kind of out there as a milestone. Those are, those are great tools to use. Is setting up a time frame that important or do you find that uh, setting up time frame can set up more anxiety for somebody? Ooh, good question. Uh, again, depends on how someone is wired. Some people you put a deadline in front of them and they're going to crumble with panic and fear and dread and just like dissolve right in front of you. Uh, sometimes you put pressure on someone and they rise to the challenge and they go, oh, like you want that in six months? Bam, Emily, I'm going to give that to you in three. Watch this. And so it, it fuels them and motivates them in a different way. I think the most common scenario I see is put a plan together with some timelines um, and know that the plan will change. So it's not going to go perfectly to, to plan. Um, and sometimes if you need something to go perfectly to plan, you can be a bit more strict about it. I'm thinking of like um, a hard deadline for a product rollout that you've committed to, uh, you know, your stakeholders and your customer base, or perhaps a bodybuilding competition where like the event is, you know, February uh, 12th and you have to be ready by that time. So you obviously reverse engineer and build your timelines to that. But for life goals and for kind of these uh, confidence goals, I would uh, put a plan together, put your milestones together, um, and then be able to adapt your plan as you go along. Because things will come up, unforeseen events will happen, things will unfold in front of you, and it might be smart to change your plan and change your timelines. So um, that would be my suggestion. Have a plan, and then know the plan will change. So like a, like a little bit of a flexible plan, you know, as the year or the months go by? Yeah, I mean, I've got clients with uh, year-long plans and they literally reverse engineer into, okay, here's my example, three-year plan. What do I need to accomplish in each year? What do I need to accomplish in each quarter, in each month? And they literally go back down to today. What do I need to do today? And they plow through that and they do the best they can with that. And every you know quarter or so, they'll check in with me and they'll say, Emily, like, here's how I did on my plan. Here's what I need to adjust. Here's what I need to do differently. Here's what's working well. And I want to continue. And they'll go into their next quarter 
like that, which works really well for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. I might use some of those. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big planner. I love planning everything. And um, I succeed about 20% of the time. <laughs> good job good job yeah, pretty good success rate um and i know a lot of people out there listening they're, they're thinking oh john fails at 80 percent of the time yeah i feel 80 percent of the time but i also succeed 20 percent mm -hmm. 20 yeah, percent of the you, stuff i do you succeed and you're successful because you fail more times than the other guy will try and that's that's just a mark of success so good on you for that Thank you. Um, I did have another question that popped into my head, but it slipped, it slipped me right now. So I apologize for that. Um, I did want to touch up on a concept, um, you know, setting up milestones. And that's another concept for me is completely alien. And I know a lot of guys listening to this, they're like, if they haven't worked in the business world, They've never had a milestone presented to them. And to you, what, what could be a milestone that is not associated to the business world? Hmm. Um, I think one, go back to our bodybuilding example, it might be, okay, maybe you're in a competition, the judges say, uh, you, need to, you need to bring up your legs. You know, so your, your chest and arms are huge, but you need to bring up your legs, okay. So the next major competition you have is in a year. And so you need to, okay, I need bigger, bigger legs in a year. Like that's your long-term goal, but there's a million different ways to do that. And there's, you know, hundreds of days in between now and then what's your most efficient and optimal way to get there. You're going to want to put in milestones. So you're going to want to build a program and structure that focuses on your legs. Maybe it puts your upper body on the back burner for a bit um, and put it on maintenance mode and really uh, optimize that. And then you want to check in and measure. Maybe it's like a measurement uh, in this example of, you know, how are you doing? Like, are your legs coming in? Are they, are they filled out? Do you have definition um, in the parts of the quad that you need it to, um, given the judge's feedback? And so you literally check in monthly, quarterly on how you're doing. Um, so you might work with a coach and say, here's my goal. And maybe you say, hey, I need my legs to be this big around and have a, a concrete goal like that. And then you would almost, you would reverse engineer into, okay, if I need to peak a year from now, what do I need to do each quarter, each month, each week today in order to uh, give myself the highest probability and likelihood to meet that goal? So the, the milestones um, would in that case literally be, okay, how big are my legs? It's pretty empirical in that sense. Yeah, cool. Um, we are coming up to the end of the show and these are the seven or eight questions I ask all my guests oh and I just like your um, insights on them. Uh, with the increase in people suffering from depression from the constant uncertainty that this world is throwing at us, what would be the one thing that you could tell them to keep their hopes up? Hmm. First of all, it's okay not to be okay. Um, a lot of people get scared and put pressure on themselves because they think, oh, I shouldn't feel this way. Um, it's bad to feel this way. And it's okay not to be okay. Um, 
the other thing to remember there is you're not alone. So when you are feeling that way, it's very easy to think I'm all alone in this. This is only happening to me when in fact it's absolutely happening to, um, unfortunately, you know, several more people, thousands of more people, and you can reach out to them and connect with them. There's resources to, um, to help you and to have someone to talk to, but it's okay not to be okay. And you're not in that alone. Awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, what is the one thing that you do daily that amplifies your ability to stay focused? Um, you know, if I can, I'll, I'll do the prep I need to put myself in best position to focus. So I know the type of uh, the time of day that I do my best work in, which is mid morning, midday. Um, and so I might, you know, get some good sleep, uh, go to the gym, kind of get my body moving, have a, have a light, healthy meal, and then do my project work and know that like, Hey, this is my sweet spot. And, and these are the several hours I need to focus. And sometimes you just need to start. Sometimes starting is the hardest part. And once you start, you're like, okay, like I can do this. I'm in it now. So just get yourself to start. Awesome. Um, if you could pick up the phone right now and call yourself at 20 years old, what would you tell yourself? <laughs> I would say, don't worry. Don't worry as much as you worry. You worry about everything and you don't need to. It's going to be okay. <laughs> uh, looking back, would you change anything? Oof. You know, that's tempting, but I would say no, because everything I've gone through has made me. Awesome. I love that answer. It's a great answer. Um, what scares you? Ooh. Uh, I'm not happy about heights, but I'll try to think of something deeper. Um, what scares me? Honestly, myself. Um, I'm scared that I will let people down, that I don't want to let down. That scares me. Nice. Uh, where do you see next level coaching in the next five years? Hmm. Um, driving value to people and drawing the right people in. Um, I just, I, I stay laser focused on how do I deliver value to people, the maximum amount of value. So I'm hoping that all that, all that effort and energy will in five years come to fruition and people will come to next level coaching for, for a lot of, uh, good things that they need and can use. Great. Uh, how about you personally? me personally in five years. Ooh. Um, I want to spend more time doing the things that I feel I'm, con I contribute at my best, meaning, uh, how do I give the most back to the people around me? How do I give the most back to my community or society? Um, that's important to me. We talked about kind of different phases of life and, and different whys and goals and, Right now it's in flux and it's definitely transitioning to like, I, I want to give back. Um, and I believe that everyone has their unique gifts and talents and skill sets and, and just where they uh, are, are contributing at their best. And I want to do more of the things where I feel like I'm contributing at my best. Mm -hmm. Nice. Uh, where can people find more about you? Uh, my website, which is nextlevel.coach. So nextlevel, all one word, dot coach. Um, and I suppose you can find more about me through my book, which is Hacking Executive Leadership. Um, and we've touched on a few 
concept slightly today, but if you want the, the full deep dive, that's on Amazon and Kindle and Audible and all of those good places to, to read and listen to books. Awesome. And um, I will share all the links that you've Thank given you. me with all my listeners so they have easy access to your content, more of your content. Awesome. Uh, any final thoughts? No, this has been a really good conversation. Um, you've asked some very insightful questions. So, so thank you. And I just encourage everyone, you know, we're all going through this life together and we need to help each other out. So um, I'm glad that we have podcasts like the one you're doing, John, and, and thank you for doing what you're doing. Well, thank you, Emily, so much for everything that you're doing. I mean, um, it's, it's really great. Uh, you have a lot of great uh, tools that you help a lot of people with. And um, I think it's very important. Um, I know a lot of my listeners and viewers are at the very bottom of their life and for them to see, you know, what could potentially be possible in their lives, if they could just follow their dreams, the tools that you provide are timeless and they are, they're, they're, they're so useful and so practical. So I, I, I thank you. I'm grateful for you for, for, for putting it out there. Thank you so much. Thanks, John. Going through hard times is just a test. What you need to know is that when you get out of whatever you're going through, you will be stronger than ever before, and you don't need to go through it alone. Always know that you are not alone. Stay tuned for more real people with amazing stories that are just like yours. Until everyone out there listening, I wish you a good morning, good afternoon, or a good night, wherever you may be in this crazy world. Hey guys, it's John from Resilient Reboot Productions and the Fitness Oracle. Uh, thank you so much for watching this episode. I uh, really hope that you enjoyed it. Please don't forget to subscribe, hit the bell. And if you know anybody that's suffering from mental health issues that you know that this episode could help, please share it with them as it is tailored to help people out there with mental health issues. Uh, if you are listening to this on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, or whatever streaming service that you use, please give us a five-star rating and a positive review as it will help us reach out to more people that are suffering from mental health issues. But before you go, I'd like to invite you to a special program that we've created here at Resilient Reboot Productions uh, called Band of Brothers. Over the years, we've discovered a system to help men regain their confidence back, just like overweight and depressed men that have lost their place in this world from all over this world. We've even put together, we've put together a group of men that are here to support your journey, showing you how easy it really is by implementing simple everyday actions that take little to no time out of your day. If you guys are interested, just click the link in the show notes below to get a one-on-one -on -one call with me so we can identify your issue and how we can best serve you best with these calls. Thank you so much again for watching and I'll see you guys on the next episode.